officials, Eric White is transferring to CU. Hello and welcome into a new abbreviated Buff Stampede radio show. My name is Adam Munster-Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com. And I'm joined on the line by fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. We're going to talk first about Derek White and then discuss some spring football recruiting topics later on. Uh, Tyler, we knew for about a week that Derek White was likely going to transfer from the University of Colorado at Colorado Springs to CU Boulder, but didn't become official until Sunday. What was your reaction upon hearing the news? Yeah, I mean, it's always good when you can get somebody into your program. Um, you know, yeah, as you said, we've kind of been hearing for weeks now that this was pretty much all but signed and delivered. Um, so now that it's official, he's coming in. I think some people are definitely going to be a little disappointed only because there seem to be a plethora of guards on the available transfer market this summer, especially from D1 programs. And especially now that we hear the news that he's not going to be eligible right away, I think most of us, um, well, we had heard previously that he likely was going to be eligible. So now I think there's going to definitely be some concern about whether or not this team still needs to improve their guard play for the next season. I think for him it's probably a good thing that he's not eligible because there is such a big jump between Division II basketball and Pac-12 play, so I think it'll give him another year to kind of get adjusted to the type of athletes that he's going to be playing with um, throughout the year. Uh, so I think people locally are going to be pretty excited because he's a you know he's a Colorado prep kid who didn't get a lot of offers out of high school, so they always like to see Colorado kids stay home. Um, he's definitely an elite scorer at the Division II level. We'll just have to see how well that's going to translate when he gets out to Boulder. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of positive and a lot of negative feedback depending on whether or not you've seen him play and how comfortable you are with this transition to the next level. Yeah, you mentioned the the fact that there, there's a big transfer market for guards. And, and part of me kind of wondered if, you know, with Chad Boyle and the staff, looking back to kind of their recruiting efforts for the class of 2015, and they, and they shot for the stars. And at the end of the day, they didn't get any early signees. Do you think maybe part of this was, hey, We've got a kid in our backyard, and maybe being a little bit uh, apprehensive following the, you know, being kind of shut out with those those early recruiting efforts for the 2015 class. It seems like this staff is maybe kind of reverting back to a different model than what they went into the class of 2015 recruiting with. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's definitely, I mean, it's easy to say that White was an easier get, right? I mean, he's local, and he's always had some interest in playing at the D1 level here in Colorado. I think everybody knew that coming in. And, yeah, I think there definitely is a little bit of worry around the program right now about what kind of kids they've been able to bring in. Um, and you, you saw in the articles that have been out in the last few days about Derek White that Chad really does think that he's one of the best people available. And, you know, he could, he could very well be. I guess you don't really know. Like I said, it's it's one of those things It's definitely a risk to bring up a guy from Division Two, But at the same time, I mean, he led the Division Two in scoring. So, he, you know, for a Division Two guy, he's obviously an elite player that I think had people known he was going to grow out of high school and turn into this, he would have absolutely had some Division One scholarships. I think it's still yet to be determined whether or not he can play in the Pac-12. Um, so there's definitely a lot of risk involved with that. But I also think that it's possible that if his game does translate well, he could be a huge piece for us. Yeah, not this upcoming year, obviously, but the year following. I kind of looked at it as a low-risk proposition to bring Derek White in. I mean, you mentioned that, yeah, the big question mark is how much is, is this 26 points a game that he scored at UCCS as a junior going to translate? You talk to anybody that watches him, and, and none of them are really concerned about his scoring. Now, yeah, he's not going to score 26 points a game at CU. I mean, that's uh, pretty much a guarantee. Uh, but he is able to score in a, in a variety of ways, and it sounds like 
at the very least, you should be worried about his scoring and maybe the question marks coming on, come in on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does have a 6'5", 180-pound frame, a thin frame. Uh, and then there's also there is the negative that you got you bring in this guy he's going to be on scholarship for two years yet you're only getting one year of service out of him in return. Tyler, in terms of production, looking ahead to that 2016-17 season, do you expect Derek White to be more Carlin Brown or maybe more Sabatino Chen in terms of production? Yeah, I mean this is, I was kind of writing down when I was looking at this piece. It's kind of an interesting question, right? Because I wouldn't really compare his skill set to either of these players. I mean, you talk about Carlin, he's obviously an elite athlete and a guy who was really a lockdown defender and helped us in a lot of ways, especially with his leadership and toughness. Uh, Sabatino is an energy guy. I mean, he's a guy who comes off the bench, wasn't really expected to score any points, um, had a lot of flaws offensively, but he was a fan favorite because he worked so hard. And I don't really think Derek is comparable on either of those guys. I think from a staff point perspective, we I would expect to see more of a Carlin Brown talent from him. Uh, somewhere around 10 to 12 points a game as a senior, um, I think would be good for the program. That's that's a production level that I think would make this move a risk that Ted, you know, he he would win this battle. I would say if we if he can get 10 to 12 points, if if Derek White becomes a guy who's your, you know, maybe the eighth, third or fourth person off the bench, your eighth man, and you know, averages four or five points a game like Sabatino did for most of his career, I think that would kind of be a loss to Ted Buck. Uh, we need better card play, and I don't think getting three or four points a game to come in here would really help that. Um, so I think I, I expect to see him in double digits or somewhere that close to that. Um, yeah, I, I think that would be the general consensus of most people who have talked about him coming in here right now. So I guess from from a, from a statistical standpoint and scoring and how an effective team, I would say closer to Carlin than Sabatino for sure. Yeah, I think you made a good point. It's if you. you you shouldn't really compare Derek White to either of those two guys because, you know, Carlin Brown comes in with an NBA body, uh, and you mentioned his ability on the defensive end. And Sabatino Chen, he only averaged two and a half points per game in two seasons at DU. So he was never really more than a glue guy, whereas uh, I think the, the comparison, if you had to make one, would be more towards Brown in the sense that White comes to see you knowing what it's like to be a team's best scorer and win awards and be the focal point of an opponent's game plan. Um, obviously, the defensive side of it, though, I don't see the comparison there. Um, now, with uh, Derek White, he does get the advantage, uh, as you mentioned, uh, of having a year out to adjust to, to the Pac-12 level and uh, to try to put on some weight to his frame. I think there's a misconception, though, that, okay, so he's not going to play this next year. It, it's, it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to gain 15 pounds of good weight. Some guys can do that. Other guys can't. They just have, you know, an active metabolism. Uh, or a skinny frame, it just doesn't allow for a lot of bulk. We'll see that uh, with White here in the next year and a half. All right, what are you expecting out of him in terms of the, this year and a half, you know, uh, away from playing in games? Do you do you expect White to be a guy that can put on those 10 to 15 pounds, or is it, is it just hard to say? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those – I would have to get to know him really. I mean, it's, it's hard to really say based on how he works and based on his body type to really say whether he can gain that weight. I mean, obviously he did grow in college, which is usually a pretty good sign that he's going to be able to put on additional weight because he's a late bloomer in that regard. Um, the thing is, though, if he really is 180 pounds, like, yeah, it's skinny for a basketball player, but it's not unheard of. There are plenty of wing players around the Pac-12 and individual in basketball that are that have skinny frames. Um, I, th- I think as long as he's wiry and is strong enough to take contact, that's what's really going to be important. And if he's just working hard with the team, you know, I, I think there obviously is a difference between a Division One program and a Division Two program when it comes to weight training and 
nutrition. So I think all of that stuff will help him. If he doesn't gain the weight, he'll at least be prepared. Um, it's one of those things we'll see We'll see how much bigger he can really get. To me, though, the most important thing for him in this offseason is going to be getting used to playing against Division One talent and uh, working on his defense because, obviously, if you want to play for Tad, he, he wants you to be a reliable defender. So I think that's, that's the one thing that Tad is really going to be harping on him to get better at while he has this year off. Yeah, you mentioned it's not unheard of uh, for a you know even a Pac-12 guard to be 6'5", 180. And the first guy that popped in my head was Isaac Hamilton. What, what was he, like a 175 for UCLA probably this last year? Oh, yeah, and, and he's only about 6'2 or 6'3 as well. He's definitely a smaller guy. I mean, even, even DeLon Wright, who's obviously extremely lanky, has a very wiry frame. He's a very skinny kid. You know, it's just about it's just about you know. Do you have that wiry strength? Are you able to handle contact at that size? That's really what's important. So with White, Guzanjic, and Achizili on board, and then uh, Q has verbal pledges from Dalyon Brown and Cameron Satterwhite, two guards for 2016. The focus really becomes for Tad Boyle and the staff now finding a couple quality big men for the 2016 class. Obviously, Overland's Deron Davis is a guy that has been talked a lot about by CU fans. And he's been a, a CU target for a while now. Now, last week, he, he was actually asked about Colorado, and Davis said, that's home, so that's always going to be an option for me when talking about the Buffaloes. Tyler, do you like CU's chances with Davis now a little bit more than maybe you did six months ago? And in, in an, an additional question here, what, what kind of skill set would you like to see in the big men that the, the Buffs scout for, for the class of 2016? Um, well, yeah, I, I guess I would say that I like our chances with him more now than I did six months ago because six months ago I would have told you we didn't have any chance. Um, in, in a weird way, that's one of the most positive things he said about Colorado in interviews in the past. I mean, he's always given us, like, the time of day, and he's, we've always been in his top grouping for sure. But I think the general consensus was that he was likely to leave the state. I think that's probably still the case. Um, but with Steve McClain leaving Indiana, who was just the guy that he had the closest connection to at Indiana, and really with him not developing quite how some expected, you know, he he was originally the number one player in his class. Now he's dropped into the 30 range. Um, so I think people aren't recruiting him quite as hard as maybe we had thought a couple of years ago or six months ago even. Um, he's obviously still a tremendous player that Colorado would be extremely fortunate to have. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, I think him kind of, he's, been, he's plateaued a little bit over the course of the last year, and I think that actually got, gives us a little bit of a better chance to hang on to him. Um, to me, he's the type of skill player that you would definitely want Colorado to bring into the 2016 class. We need more size. He's a very wide body, much wider than Josh Scott was, especially in prep and you know in, in his prep days. Um, similar to Josh, he's not a great vertical athlete. Uh, Josh is much more athletic on the floor, though. Much better feet, much quicker, um, but I would say that from a post-game perspective and just ha just touch around the perimeter, that right now Deron Davis is better in that regard um, if you're talking about high school to high school. To me, he's a guy that has a re really versatile skill set. The only thing holding him back is, is he going to be able to score over elite big men in college because he doesn't get off the floor as well as some other guys. Good stuff, Tyler. Well, let's move along here and talk about some spring football recruiting. Uh, obviously, the, the Buff staff now all out on the road recruiting. I detailed exactly what the spring evaluation period is and, and where the staff will be out recruiting on BuffStampede.com last week. So if you haven't checked that out yet, please do. Every FBS program has 168 days in which they can have their assistants out on the road recruiting between April 15th and the end of May. 
Now, Colorado's strategy was on the first day of the spring evaluation period to put four different assistant coaches out on the road here in-state in Colorado, and the focus there was really the, the top in-state 2015 targets, and those obviously being Carlo Camp at Fairview, Isaiah Panunzio down at Pueblo South, and JoJo Doman at Pine Creek High School in the Colorado Springs area. And each of those guys had CU stop by their school twice on the first day. So just a very concerted effort to, to make an impression there on the first day. Tyler, did you like that strategy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always important to make sure that the in-state guys get a lot of love right off the bat, right? I mean, those are the guys that are closest to the program year in, year out. You're going to have somebody who's, who grew up as a bus fan in most of your classes. So it's important to really just show those guys some love as well. There's no doubt about that. Um, I mean, this year is kind of going to be an interesting year, I think, for the in-state class because I think uh, the consensus right now between Carlo Kemp and JoJo Doman is that they – it seems to me like they are definitely leaning towards going out of state right now. So that so CU is going to have to really focus on which guys they really love in that next year. Penunzio, um, you know, Jack Stoll, some of the guys that are in that third through sixth on the list type stuff, Ashton Torres, those are the guys that are kind of in that next tier. Um, obviously they're going to work really hard because they want, they want Dome and they want Kemp. Those are both the big time gets in state for Colorado um, on, on a level that they haven't been as successful at in state recruiting in the last four or five years. So those are the guys they're really going to try to focus on, but I'm not 100% sure if they feel as confident about some of the lower-tier guys that they can get um, at that level. But, yeah, anytime you're in-state on day one, I think that's great for the program. You know, as you said, they have so many days to get out there, and um, I know they put out a social media piece today about how they're all over the country. I think they said they have four guys in California. There was uh, one in Utah, one in Kansas, and two in Texas, I think, were where everybody else is at. So there's plenty of time to get to everybody out there around the country. It's always good to start off on the right foot in the state. Yeah, I like the strategy because the fact is you can wait to stop by some schools in California and Texas, and no one's going to bat an eye. If you wait in Colorado, as we've seen with some folks, they're just overly critical of, of Colorado recruiting in-state kids. and You've got a faction of people that think there's more – uh, BCS caliber, I shouldn't say BCS, that, that doesn't exist anymore, but Power 5, you know, quality recruiting yeah. in the state than there mm-hmm. really are. So I think going out there and making a, an impression the first day is as good as you can possibly do recruiting uh, the state of Colorado. You, you saw Troy Walters, the receivers coach, and then Clayton Adams, uh, running backs and tight ends coach, stopping by Regis Jesuit the first day of the spring evaluation. And then the following day, an offer goes out to, to their star tight end, Jack Stoll, and he becomes the fourth in-state recruit from the class of 2015 to, to receive an offer from CU. Uh, what's interesting with Stoll's recruitment is it just really took off here recently, and, and Texas offered him, Nebraska offered him. i got to say, and this is no offense to Jack Stoll, but that, that Texas offer seemingly came out of left field, and I was very surprised at the timing of that. Just how surprised are you, Tyler, kind of his recruiting and the fact that it's blown up here in the last few weeks? Yeah, I mean – to me, that's an extremely surprising offer. I mean, he doesn't seem like the kind of athlete that Texas and Nebraska would be on to me in April of the year before their recruiting class. Um, so, uh, you know, they must see, see something that so far I haven't on film. Obviously, I'm not a talent evaluator, and it's, they know a lot more about this than me. But of the guys in the state, I would not expect Jack Stoll to be the guy getting the offers from Texas and Nebraska. So it was definitely a shock from that standpoint. I mean, you look at him on film. He does a lot of things really well. He's a solid player. Um, I, I re- he's tenacious on run blocking, which is always something you'd like to see from a tight end to me. Uh, but he's not a burner by any means, and he's definitely got to get some weight up. So to me, it was it's absolutely surprising. I'm happy for him. 
I love to see kids get offers from around the country. That's really awesome. Um, I know Colorado obviously has some interest in him as well, so it'll be interesting to see how his recruitment kind of heats up throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, Jack Stoll, he's a pretty versatile tight end, and how I would kind of describe it is he seems to be a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. You know, he's pretty good mm-hmm. in a lot of aspects. He's not uber-explosive, and that goes to your point of usually guys, when Texas goes to another state like Colorado to offer a guy, usually they have that explosiveness, which you don't really see, like you said, from uh, from Jack Stoll's junior film, but he didn't get the ball thrown to him a whole lot last year. The strength of Regis's team were kind of their running back with, without – Barnes there, and they were pretty strong up front, obviously, in the O-line with Tim Lanock and Jack Stoll as a blocker, and he was able to put on some good weight after basketball season. The last time before the first day of the spring evaluation period that, that CU was able to evaluate him was back during basketball season. He was obviously running around a lot and then lost some weight. It looks like he's been able to gain that weight back and is running around pretty well. Another guy I would say to keep an eye on with in-state recruiting is Tariq Roberts, an offensive tackle, kind of a project type of recruit down at Denver South High School. This is somebody that played both basketball and football growing up and was maybe more had more focus on basketball until here recently. Kansas has offered him. Uh, and the last time I talked to him, he's going to plan to camp up at CU uh, this summer. So I'm anxious to see how he looks. Now, obviously, you can only tell so much with an offensive lineman in a non-padded uh, camp. But uh, he's a guy to keep an eye on as well. Is there anybody else? You mentioned Ashton Torres. Is there anybody else, Tyler, at state you're kind of keeping a close eye on here recruiting-wise? Yeah, well, I mean, you also had Dylan Reichensmeyer has an offer from Kansas, too, so he's really the only other guy getting power five bullets in state at the moment. Um, I'm not sure that he's a guy that people are expecting to get an offer right away. Um, but he comes from Valor, and that's obviously a big program in the state. We've recruited a lot of their kids in the last past few years as well. So it'll be interesting to watch and see what people think of him as he goes through the summer camp circuit. Now, as I detailed on BuffStampede.com last week, Washington and Oregon are no longer states that are going to be part of kind of the footprint for CU football recruiting. They had recruited both of those states the last couple of recruiting cycles and just had a real hard time getting those recruits to come out to Colorado to visit. It seems like recruits in those two states, the you know, the caliber of recruits that CU wants to go after are more apt to stay in state. So instead of that now you've got three coaches out recruiting in Florida, obviously Jim Levitt and Joe Tumpkin, the new assistant coaches that have ties out in the Sunshine State. And then Charles Clark, who previously uh did not recruit out in Florida but is now is from the Jacksonville area. Uh what is your thoughts on that strategy, Tyler? And, and what are your expectations for the bus recruiting out in Florida? Do you expect them to get maybe two or three guys from Florida every cycle, or do you expect them to put the numbers from Florida even challenge the, kind of the numbers they get from Texas? Yeah, no, I actually wrote down one to three guys from that state every single year. Um, I think Florida could be an extremely important recruiting footprint for the program. Um, we have, as you mentioned before, we have a lot of coaches with um, inroads there. And it's a state that really produces more talent than the schools in that area can take every single year. So there's, you know, there's a, there's a talent overload in that state that's, that has to go somewhere around the country. And I would love to be one of the schools that, you know, we can start building some pipelines in there. And that could really help jumpstart the program to me. Um, anytime you can recruit on a more national level, it gives you more national respectability. You know, if you start recruiting well in, in Florida, get one to three kids a year, people in Florida start recognizing the name Colorado see them on TV, um, you know, that kind of stuff is really important. And if we could get a couple solid pieces out of that state every single year, I think that would really help the overall uh, program, give us more talent, and uh, give us a nice 
wider recruiting net? Yeah, one to three seems re- pretty realistic uh, in the sense that uh, when you go out to Florida, I mean, the, honestly, you're going to have to pick up the scraps there. You're not going to be out Florida or Florida State or any of those SEC programs for recruits. Now, the scraps in Florida can be better than some of the top athletes that come from other states. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, and it's, it, and it's guys like Jim Levitt in, in Pumpkin that have connections out there that are going to rely on those. I have a feeling, though, the guys that they get out of Florida are going to be more kind of the under-the-radar types. Um, I just kind of have a, a sense there, it, especially when you consider when you recruit California, there's obviously ties in with the Pac-12 and, and easy ways mm-hmm. to sell Colorado. Even when you go to Texas now, you can kind of sell the fact that, hey, we're going to, in the future, play TCU and in, in, in Texas A&M, and there's a little bit of a connection there in terms of the history with being in the Big 8 and the Big 12. It's hard to do that out in Florida. It basically comes down to the connections that Levitt had at South Florida, not necessarily anything related to Colorado. I, I have a hard time believing, and I know uh, you know Craig Watts, a four-star cornerback from out in Florida, has Colorado among his top ten right now, but I have a hard time believing Colorado they're going to really land any blue chips in, in Florida, at least until they have some success on the field. Oh, for sure. I think initially, yeah, you're going to have to take some chances on some guys that are probably, you know, any of the Division One schools in Florida aren't really taking a look at. But, you know, yeah, as it builds, I think there's definitely a potential there to start getting some decent guys out of the state if we, yeah, as you said, start performing on the field and they find that some of these kids in Florida can get out to Colorado and get to earn playing time. Another uh, topic uh, that, that uh, we should touch on here is the upcoming uniform unveiling on May 1st. Tyler, are you more excited or, or nervous about this? You, you see some uniform unveilings like, uh, even like uh, you know, the Cleveland Browns have taken some flax for kind of the, the show they put on with their uniforms here recently. Are you nervous about the presentation of this, or, or uh, are you just excited to kind of see the, the new look? No, I mean, I'm not nervous for it at all. I think even though people have hated on the Browns for, the, you know, how they handled it, which, of course, was kind of ridiculous, um, I think – a majority of people that I've seen, at least around Cleveland, like the new uniforms. And at the end of the day, people aren't going to lose. They're not going to not be a fan of the team because of the uniforms, right? What we've seen kind of under the scenes from the players that have seen the uniforms is that they really like them. That's really what's important. The players have to like what you know have to like what they're wearing. It's an important part of what they do. Young culture, everybody wants to look cool, all that type of stuff. To me, the fan the fan base. I'm sure some people will love them, some people will hate them. That's pretty traditional with most of the uniforms. It seems like. But at the end of the day, they're going to watch the team on Saturday and they're going to root for them just as hard. So to me, I'm excited. It's kind of, it goes along with that whole new, we're trying to rebirth of the program, right? I mean, we have all these new facilities. We have new coaching staff in the last couple of years. Um, we're trying to transition and have a new mindset in the program. And it seems to me like the new uniforms are really just kind of the final piece of that puzzle. You, you can stick your head in the sand and pretend that it doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, it does. Things like a barbershop in the locker room, are, it's a big deal to recruits. And so yeah. I think the fact that Colorado, small steps like this, being more active on social media, um, new uniforms, it kind of just further emphasizes the fact that under Rick George, this athletic department really gets it. Yeah, I mean, I, not only do they get it, but I think it shows that they have, you know, that they have faith in the program and that they're going to put their money towards the program. I mean, anytime you get new uniforms, it shows that the school is obviously backing your future. Um, so to me, it, it gets you in the news, right? I mean, no matter Colorado is not that nationally relevant right now, but when these come out, they're going to be all over social media nationally. People are going to be talking about them. There's nothing bad about that, to me. 
what are you hoping to see out of the look? What, what's kind of your preferred uniform style? Um, I, it, it really depends to me. I, you know, sometimes I feel like I like all these new age uniforms, but to me, I'm traditionally not a huge fan of Oregon's. Um, a lot of the traditional uniforms are awesome too. I, I think it really just depends on how they scheme it together and whether or not. To me, as long as they don't try to do too much, that's when it starts to get a little ridiculous for my tastes. So to me, obviously with a color scheme like black and gold, it's really difficult to go wrong. So I'm not concerned yeah. with it at all. I'm not concerned with it at all. But it, I, there's nothing specific I say I look for, I, I guess. But you know, you, you just got one of those things when you know, you know, you like look at it. Your first impression is wow, those are pretty cool. Um, I, I really do expect them to be awesome. I expect I expect that most people will like them. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Cool. Well, uh, that's going to do it for this abbreviated Buff Stampede radio show. Of course, Ryan Konigsberg was not on with us today as he gets ready to start his new venture with BSN Denver, and we wish him luck with that. We're definitely still going to continue to collaborate with Ryan, though, in the future on this show, so that'll be good. Uh, Tyler, thanks for joining me today. Let's do this again soon, okay? Yeah, of course. It was good to talk to you. Awesome. Well, thanks to all of you for listening in, and be sure to stay connected to BuffStampede.com for all the latest. See you news.